of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 504. It's me and Jason today. Uh, we're going to talk about money, banking, fiat currency, the state of affairs, where we are now. Probably cover a little bit on how we got where we are now, but money is going to be one of the massive pushes in the so-called reset. The monetary system will be used in an attempt to gain basically total slavery. Things like UBI, things like digital currency that is programmed, these are all things that will end buying, selling, trading as we have ever known it and give control at a level that is unimaginable. And what's worse, the data collection. We've done so many episodes on AI, so people can just imagine if every transaction everywhere was being fed to AI, what it means. And of course, who could forget that they have openly stated that CBDCs will be used to modify behavior. What else needs to really be said? Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Well, a hot good morning. And it's really important to understand how things have been done over the past few centuries, because they've definitely got some shenanigans in mind over the next couple of years. You know, it's crazy. You can still go back and listen to Richard Nixon give the speech, basically breaking us permanently, totally off the gold standard. And it just goes to show you the nonsense they spew. Because if you just read a transcript of what he said, you would get the impression, you know, if you didn't already mistrust him, that, oh, we're doing these things for America's safety and, you know, to benefit America. The exact opposite was true. They were moving us to a worthless fiat system, 100%, and there are spiritual overtones. And these spiritual overtones are why people get so upset when I don't have anything to say about crypto, and I never will have anything good to say about crypto. And I get that people worked to try to decentralize. I get the intent of it. The problem is it's never going to be. We can't invent the flashiest, best most efficient car in the world, and then go put it on the highways we don't own. Because if somebody doesn't want that, then you're not going to get that. And that's no different than what we're talking about here. We all have to use the internet. It's owned and operated and controlled. Maybe not entirely. Maybe there are still people on the darkest of dark webs and hackers that can still get away here and there with doing things, but those days are limited. As an example, my wife and I were laughing uh, about these bank robbery movies that they're still making. It's impossible to rob a bank at this point. The level of data collection, cameras, tracking, the electronics in your car, the card in your wallet, just everything. If you were going to rob a bank like these old bank heist movies, and there's a reason I'm bringing this up, the whole game would be to mask. The real game is not how do we do it. The real game would be, how do we make ourselves invisible? But in talking with my wife, as we were laughing about this, it occurred to me, every single bank heist movie that I have ever seen in my entire lifetime, one of the under or overarching programming devices is to get you to believe that this worthless piece of paper has value to the point where for some reason, a person in charge of that so-called paper currency will give their life to defend it or to stop these bank robbers. And that mindset is pervasive. How can it be that common sense has not impregnated society where anytime there was any bank robber, anyone say, here, man, let me put it in a bag for you. Well, here's all the paper you want. 
because my life is infinitely more valuable than this nonsense. But you could see how the programming works. But with that, let's uh, let's jump in with a little bit of fractional reserve, Jason. Fractional reserve banking is a system in which only a fraction of bank deposits are required to be available for withdrawal. Banks only need to keep a specific amount of cash on hand and can create loans from the money that you deposit. Fractional reserves work to expand the economy by freeing capital for lending. Today, most economies' financial systems use fractional reserve banking. Among all the things that we could talk about with regard to fractional reserve, and I don't think we need to talk about a lot of them, not too long ago, people didn't call what we're doing fiat. Now almost everybody calls it fiat. They're they're catching up to what's actually real here. But this is an assault on the spirituality of a maybe world population. There's no value. We're imagining value in the same way somebody might defend someone trying to steal some paper and lose their life. This is the result of such anti-spiritual programming. The truth is, is that value is value. And what is value? It's actually something usable, right? An apple has value because I can actually use an apple. There's no denying that an apple has inherent value. The same can be said for the metals that have typically stood in for currencies over the centuries, gold and silver. But here's the real crux of it. Who made the gold? Who made the silver? That's part of the creation. Now let's do the flip side of that. Who made the fiat? Who made the paper? Who made the fractional reserve system? And these are tools that do a lot of things, but under it all, it's spiritually robbing us all of what is actually true of this place. So the big difference, of course, is humans can just print more money, meaning worthless paper, or at this point, I think it's just digital numbers in a ledger. But we can't just make more gold or silver or whatever tangible item might be backing up some of this money that, well, that used to back up this money, I should say. I don't think anybody uses anything whatsoever anymore. It's all this fiat system. And it's infinite, Jason. Your your point is taken well. Basically, to make this, they tap a keyboard and then they start fractioning it. And all of a sudden, it's worth 10 times or 100 times what it was. Loans going on at that thousands of times of the actual original number. It's all made up. It's all imaginary, and it's hard to explain why this is important on a human being level, on a living man or a living woman level. So let me try this. Some guy works in a mine. A man or a woman in this world works in a mine somewhere. There is actual energy from that human being being expended. That is real. That is real energy from a real man or woman. There is nothing imaginary going on here. Some minutes or hours or days of weeks of a life have been given in this endeavor. Now, in a reality-based system, an actual equal payment for that, whatever everyone agrees is the value of that labor, is given to that person. And that sets the beginning of everything that happens after. In our imaginary system, it doesn't matter because a myth, a fairy tale, An imaginary ghost is going to be created after the fact, at no point recognizing the real lives, the real minutes, the real energies that have been expended. 
And while I don't feel I did a very good job of explaining spiritually why that's important, it leads us all into an illusory world where we do things like make up Santa Claus, then lie to our children and base it to materialism. And that becomes okay to everybody. When in fact, if you step back and look at what is going on there, you begin to realize this is absolutely crazy. Why are we doing these things? And the normalization of things like that are what foster the illusion. When you create an account at a bank, in the contract, you agree to allow that bank to use a percentage of your deposits as loans to other bank customers. This doesn't mean that you don't have access to the money that you have deposited. It only means that if you want to remove more than the percentage that a bank keeps on hand, such as the entire balance, from that account, the bank will need to access funds from somewhere else to give you your balance. When you deposit money in your savings account, your bank can use a specified amount as capital to fund loans and pay you for using your money. Savings accounts pay interest, generally between 0.5% and 2%, so you receive an interest payment on your money and the bank can use part of it in a loan. In turn, the bank might want to access 80% of your money to use as loans to other customers. That's what they officially say anyway. There is much speculation that they loan out a lot more than they are supposed to. All right. So I've been up at my banks recently to simply try to get them to admit that bail-ins are a thing. And here's what I discovered. None of the people all the way up to the manager are aware of any of it. Literally not aware. I took the time to print when things Obama and others did put it plain that bail-ins are legal in our country. And so then I did things when I realized that none of them knew and I kept getting blown off, told, you know, you're FDIC insured. Well, that's a whole other story. Apparently, of all the things the FDIC insures, they have on hand a fraction, a very tiny fraction that they can cover. In other words, the idea would be like if one or two banks went down, that the FDIC could probably cover the losses of the so-called depositors. But the truth is, is if anything bigger than that happens, there's no FDIC insurance there. And that's been allowed to happen as well. But to pull back around to the point, I started asking them, is this my money? And they assured me that it is. And I pulled their own paperwork from when I set up my private trust account And I said, look right here, it calls me a unsecured creditor. What does that mean? It's gotten so bad that this fantasy that I was talking about previously has inundated our society to the point where the very people working at these establishments all the way up to management have no freaking clue. They've never been told. And so when I pressed and said, what does this mean? They were learning for the first time, it appeared, that The moment that I put money, so-called money, on deposit in that bank, it is no longer mine because I have become a, wait for it, unsecured creditor. And this is the totality of what we're going to talk about. It is the acceptance of illusions that lead to complete, I don't know, misunderstanding of any semblance of what is real. In other words, we've been trained, this is how we do it. This is just how we do it. And it's to the point where so many people have allowed this for so long that human concerns have been completely removed from the system. And this is by design. And the reason for this design 
is what they're going to try to pull off next, which is basically control at a level we've never seen. Money being one of the big tools. And this whole, uh, you have to keep so much on reserve and the rest can be loaned out. This is why there's a problem or a supposed problem with what they call bank runs, meaning that way too many people go in to take all of their money out at once because the bank actually doesn't physically have the cash to cash out multiple accounts. And it's all based on nonsense. So let me ask a question, Jason. If we sit down at a keyboard and we do this, isn't the truth of it that there could be any amount of paper in there? Why are they limiting the paper? Now, here's a few things that I've seen. And by the way, before I get into that, what I was told by a person who knows a lot more about finance than I ever will is that in 2008, they removed all these safeguards that directly affected how much capital supposedly had to be on hand. In other words, they weakened the system is what he was telling me. Whether or not that's true, I haven't confirmed it. But when you go at this logically, why isn't there for 50% of all deposits in a vault? Why would it make a difference? It would easily be doable. There is no requirement for a gold treasury somewhere to be backing it. Um, This is all by design. And I'll ask a question to everybody. Must have been, what was it, Jason? Two years ago, when I started telling you what I observed with my ATMs, and I'll recount it here. One of my banks, uh, and they're, they're small banks, I don't use any of the big ones. And that used to seem like a good thing, but it's pretty clear that it appears what's going on is there's going to be a couple big banks left when all this is done, however that works out or whatever they're able to pull off. But they started doing construction and they always had a drive through with tellers you could see, and they took all that out and then went in one automated ATM where there used to be two lines at the small bank where the tellers were there. You could see them through the window. The little suck the tube thing system that we're all familiar with was all ripped out. And instead they put a drive through and it was under a little overhang and one ATM. Now the other ATM was in a vestibule. So when you came there at night, you had to have a card to get into the vestibule as a security measure. And what they did there is they pulled the ATM out of the vestibule, put this big monstrosity of an ATM outside with no overhang, out in the weather. And I started thinking, who the hell does this? I mean, this is the ultimate insult to we really don't care about you. If it's snowing, you're going to be out there standing in the snow trying to use our ATM. Meanwhile, at another bank, they rip out all three lanes of ATMs and they redo the whole thing. But what was interesting is at the same time, The limit went from $500 to $1,000 on what you could take out of an ATM. Not once have I ever been able to take $1,000 out because I tested it. And so what's actually going on is the entire system is being pushed to automation where you're just interfacing with a machine. You know, the tellers that you could see through the window, that is diminishing and diminishing. And meanwhile, They're doing things like telling, oh, you can take more of your supposed money out, but it's really not true. And I would ask you people to comment, have you noticed similar things? My friend in Michigan that I talked to saw a similar thing at the same time that I did, all these lanes and banks being ripped out and changed in some way. And I'll ask you, Jason, have you noticed any of these things in your area? No, we still have banks with, the, I think it's two or three lanes, depending upon the size of the bank, Uh, at least as far as the Chase Bank that I use. 
Yeah, it's just the the one thing that really got me paying attention was when they pulled the ATM out of a heated vestibule that had a security door. So you were in there by yourself and they just threw it right outside the vestibule. Not even kidding you, right? Whether it's raining or snowing, there's no overhang even. And again, the, the customer interface from that particular bank removed and one single ATM put in with a new balance. And as far as I know, no one's ever pulled a thousand dollars out successfully. Maybe on the day, I don't know when they get their money, I don't know, but it's all it's all quite astonishing to watch. The concept of fractional reserve banking has its roots in an era when gold and silver were traded and is often associated with the Knights Templar. Goldsmiths would issue promissory notes, which were later used as a means of exchange. The smiths used the deposited gold to issue loans with interest, and thus, fractional banking was born. So wait a minute, a secret society invented fractional reserve? If I'm not mistaken, uh, it is claimed in many of the things I've read, though there are a lot of claims about the supposed Knights Templar. Uh, They invented things like checks and other things. But here we come back to it. What are they using? Gold. Well, does anyone keep in mind what it is about gold that's so special in our world? As far as I know, and I could be wrong, but I have looked and currently, as far as I know, it is the only material thing that I am aware of that can represent perfection. And it is also symbolic of the sun. In other words, all the luminaries have been assigned a metal. The sun is typically assigned gold. Well, what is it about gold? Well, it doesn't rust. It doesn't tarnish. It doesn't diminish. It seems to remain at the highest level. In other words, it is what it is. And a million years from now, it will still be what it is. And there is the really foundational idea of why spiritually it matters because of what it represents in this realm. And so even back here, what were they doing? Gold and silver, which is millennia. These things are valuable. They're made within the creation. Some guy can't easily open up a lab and start pumping out all the gold and silver he wants, or somebody would have done it. But here's the real kick in the modern era. Comex and whatever the name of the other place in, in, uh, I think it's London or somewhere there in Britain where they have all the gold stored, there have been drained off more tons of gold than we have ever seen before. But it's hard to tell because the reporting is whatever it wants to be. And some of the people supposedly taking gold, you don't even know who they are. They're the others. And I put that in quotes and I'm not kidding. But for years now, the powers that be like central banks, like most countries, except apparently I am told Canada and the United States, everyone else is going hog wild over acquiring gold tonnage. One of my very connected friends told me that some of the orders for this gold coming off places like Comex are in the tonnage and they're so big that they can't even be delivered in three or four deliveries. And this has been going on. And so currently what I suspect is true is there are two things that will give a country or an organization a seat at the table after this reset, whatever happens. One of them is if you have enough gold, you'll have a seat at the table. Probably. The other thing is AI, but this is not about AI. But there is an idea out there, and you keep seeing it in all the descriptions where they call it the AI arms race. Well, that's an apt description. That's exactly what it is. There is an idea that whoever has the best AI 
is going to be in charge, or at least that's one of the claims. But think about what's going on for these past years with these big countries, banking concerns, secret organizations called the others on sheets are grabbing gold at a tonnage we've never seen before. And again, the reports are mixed, but it's pretty clear that a lot of gold is being grabbed up by powerful places and countries. Most countries today use fractional reserve banking because it is not feasible to use 100% reserve banking. Moreover, a system that requires banks to hold 100% of deposits cannot create more money without devaluing its currency. Thus, banks would need to hold a significant amount of capital to issue loans. This would greatly reduce growth in developing and developed economies because the banks could not issue debt to businesses and consumers that rely on it for large purchases and investments. A system backed by precious metals, such as gold, is also prone to this problem. If a specific amount of a country's currency has to be represented by a certain amount of gold, the country is limiting its growth potential because there is a finite amount of gold available. To meet the growing demand for capital, the currency's value would continuously be reduced. Fractional reserve banking allows a country to grow its money supply to meet the demand for growth. All right, a couple things here. First of all, the idea of debt is basically almost equal to slavery in our time. If you become a debtor, then you are in a terrible situation. And what Jason just pointed out is everyone is made to be a debtor in this system in one way or another. Anyone to take the time to go look up what it means the words unsecured creditor. So I've got money that I work for that is mine, but if I put it in this, suddenly I'm a creditor. But think about what's being said here, and it's BS. It is not feasible to use 100% reserve banking. Well, there were times when this happened. Well, their claim is, is that they can't be progressive and grow and do all these things. Look around America, everybody. Does it feel like anything is progressing or does it feel like things are beginning to crumble? So the claim here is provably by observation, not correct. So when you look at what's actually gone on in the real world is we've been diminishing. Things have been not taken care of. There is no big progressive growth and these other ideas that are supposedly the reason for what we see. So I can only deduce that the reason for what we see has been slow ramp up for control. When I was young and I got my first bank account, if I remember correctly, it was three or 4% interest return on whatever I had deposited. I think it was closer to three. And then over time, it began to diminish. When I walked into a bank, when I was younger, you were treated with respect You were given things for opening up an account with them. There was an idea that you were a customer and to keep you happy was important. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody feel that way anymore with regard to their bank? And I would say no. When you begin to see things like what Hollywood is doing, because Hollywood, after all, is one of the big communication arms of the programming, what are we going to call it, bureaucracy of our world. And I think it's 1969. I'm guessing at the dates, but I'm in the ballpark. They put out a movie called Goldfinger, which was designed to do a couple of things, but basically get you to believe that the country's wealth was in gold and still in Fort Knox. Two years later, President Nixon takes us off the gold standard. 
do you see how much effort is being spent to get us confused or programmed or thinking one thing when another is going on? But there is no reason in the world why there couldn't be a monetary system where what was on deposit is backed. I would point out, and I think I'm probably correct, I've read a few books on it, that there were times when you could go in and say, give me gold for this money. It didn't last very long, but there were times when this went on. And by the way, it preceded any idea of a central bank. Goldfinger was earlier. It was actually 64. But uh, you'll notice a lot of these things that I'm pulling from are from mainstream financial websites and things like that. And they're painting this system the way they want it to be painted, which is, of course, in a positive light. Same thing with Hollywood. They're going to portray the way the system wants you to see all of these things, not the actual reality of how these things are. I think, you know, that's why I think it's important that we do the notes that guide us through these conversations are pulled from that perspective because it gives us an opportunity to challenge what's being meted out here. It's completely bereft of any reality, any concern for people as I guess, you know, I don't think people like the word consumer or or customer anymore, but it's a far cry from the way that we get treated using systems now. The slippage is measurable. I'm asking you flat out, do you feel secure in your banking right now? Or are you nervous about it? That one question alone should tell you where we at, you know, where we've come to. And these are going to be the things that make up our future. And the only thing that divides what probably is going to be attempted from what comes next is what we are willing to accept. And as we have said so many times, I think the real truth is shown us by societies like the Amish, right? Um, If you're going to get involved in these systems, which no longer give a damn about you, and the real intent is to control you, manipulate you, or use you as a money manipulation tool, basically, which is what's going on now with our banks that turns you into a creditor when you go on deposit with them. The answer is simple. Can we get away from these systems, tell them we're no longer interested, and over time become more self-sufficient? and demand a hell of a lot better from the systems we get. As I speak, uh, I have recently seen numbers on the electric car movement, which is another form of slavery, right? You can go however far your charge will allow you. When I was young and I got a car, it was freedom. That's what a car meant. I could drive to New York from San Diego. And I did. With the electric car, that's not going to be possible. But here's the rub. They're manufacturing them like there's no tomorrow. But apparently the sales are not there. And so we see what we always see. They're doubling down, they're tripling down. This woke nonsense in Hollywood, it's been pretty much shown that the idea that drove these institutions forever was to make a profit. Well, they've lost that. They're not making a profit. And what are they doing? They're doubling and tripling down. And so what this shows us is that the agenda outstrips everything that we've ever known about organizations, which is be a good business, make money so we can pay our employees, so we can buy houses to live in. All of that is what's being challenged right now. And it's being challenged with an agenda. And a lot of it's failing, to be fair. Uh, I think the woke idea, as people like to call it, so many aspects of that failing. And yet, what do we see? Doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. That's desperation, but will they get away with it? That's what remains to be seen. I don't know how many times I have to say this, but I'll say it again. 
no one would be allowed to fail as many times as, just as an example, the woman who is in charge of the Lucasfilm properties. Failure after failure after failure after failure. And yet, she's still allowed to keep doing the stupid woke nonsense. It's it's not feasible for a company to allow that to happen if there wasn't some other agenda. It's interesting because you and I have talked about this, and I maintain a big part of what they're doing is they don't give a damn about the so-called baby boomers. In other words, the older people who really loved Star Wars or whatever media they really appreciated from their younger years, and they knew something about it, they don't give a damn what those people think about it. And the reason for that is, is they're aiming at the young people. Because when those people that are 13 that see this crap now, first of all, they're probably not old enough or aware enough to recognize the woke programming, as it gets called. But when they get to be 30, they will be nostalgically programmed to remember that in a fond light. So you can see what goes on here. And nonetheless, here's the rub. There will be a ton of people in different job descriptions all over this country that are not ready to give up the way things have been. We do this to make money. We do this so I can pay my mortgage, so I can put my kids through college. These ideas are what's on the chopping block, literally what's on the chopping block. And the reason we're talking about this fiat system is because this is where they have to take that away. What they do next with money and currency is going to have to succeed, and it's going to have to erase all those things we used to be used to. And one of the ways I think they're doing it is making people go broke. And another thing that I suspect will come, and this is just my best guess, that if push comes to shove, they'll do things like, oh, well, here, take our digital currency. We'll give you 500 credits or whatever they're calling it for free. And by the way, do you have any loans? Oh, we'll just erase those for you. I think these are some of the manipulations we will see as they try to implement their slavery hooks. Now, I totally agree about the nostalgia thing. That is definitely, I mean, it's got to be the plan. But there is a huge flaw that I don't think they've taken into account, or at least, I I mean, I don't know what's going on. But here's what I keep seeing happening, because I try and keep tabs on these things. The parents are not they're no longer showing the children. Star Wars is one example, but it goes across multiple ideas and properties and things like that. They're not showing it to them anymore because it's so blatant and the stories are so bad and the programming is so blatant that they're just like, no, I'm I'm not showing this to my kids. So that's not getting into them in the first place. They're finding other things to do. They're, They're finding other things to entertain the kids with. So they can program all this stuff into there, but if the kids aren't seeing it in the first place, the nostalgia factor won't be there in 20 years. From your lips to God's ears, Jason, if there are a significant amount of adults and parents out there doing that, so good on you. You are doing a very critically important thing, and that nostalgia programming, it is powerful. Right now, as an example, I've given up the ideas that I had about music, which was a huge part of my young life. Maybe at points, the driving force of why I even got out of bed to go do things. That's how important music was to me. Now, there was all this music. We heard it on the school bus, and we considered it kind of bubblegummy popcorn. Now, when I hear it, it sounds musical. You know why? Because there's actually musicians and key changes and melodies. And it's ironic that what I viewed as kind of bubblegummy 
you know, whatever, this is just the filler we listened to. It took on a whole new perspective for me now. But what you're saying, Jason, here's a key point. All this streaming provides data. They know damn well they've failed. They know who's not watching, how much they've watched, how many people have completed a watch. They know it all. And yet we still see them doubling down. But here's the platform methodology that they put forward, which often gets called a streaming war. Think about what that means. Are people really going to pay five streaming platforms? I suspect what's true is in the long run, there will probably be one, maybe two, but eventually one, because people don't want to be paying five places for streaming content, right? And so even the way this is set up kind of fosters into this one monopoly where who knows, Amazon or someone becomes the main base. But nonetheless, what we are seeing is they are fully aware that the hundreds of millions that they paid for things like Lord of the Rings properties, they didn't give a damn about the people who were invested, the so-called fans, which used to drive all this. What became important was the programming. And then the media blitz after the fail came, where there were plenty of articles telling you we failed, but here's why that's a good thing. And if you're a parent out there and you're blocking your young children's eyes from seeing this stuff, you're doing a bigger service than than you can be aware of. Because of the types of programming I am aware of, one of the most powerful is nostalgia programming. And I am a victim of nostalgia programming. I can't unremember that I heard Brandy, you're a fine girl when I got my first kiss and things like this. You can't unremember that. And that is the power of what they're trying to leverage off here. And again, to back up the whole nostalgia thing, the reason why you'd pay a gazillion dollars for, for example, the name Lord of the Rings is because of that built-in fan base. When the first thing that you do is give the middle finger and tell every single fan to go screw themselves, well, obviously, they're not concerned about that, are they? No, they're, they're aiming at people. Well, it's interesting because what you're, it's a paradox, right? The only reason it's valuable why you pay over a quarter of a million dollars for the appendix of Lord of the Rings and then just aberrate it and make up whatever you want and do your race thing and your gender thing, which is one of your main things. What sense does that make if you're going for the nostalgia programming? Because those young people, I mean, they're mildly aware of it, but not to the level of the people who actually were invested in it. It is quite a paradox, but I think it's pretty clear, Jason. They don't care about the so-called fans, which used to drive everything. And I think you're also going to see a change in this. But the real scary part is I think some of those CEOs and other underlings are going to back off it under pressure, but the system is going to change before they get a chance. That's what I think is probably coming. The gold standard is a monetary system where a country's currency or paper money has a value directly linked to gold. With the gold standard, countries agreed to convert paper money into a fixed amount of gold. A country that uses the gold standard sets a fixed price for gold and buys and sells gold at that price. That fixed price is used to determine the value of the currency. The gold standard is not currently used by any government. Britain stopped using the gold standard in 1931, 
and the U.S. followed suit in 1933, finally abandoning the remnants of the system in 1973. The gold standard was completely replaced by fiat money, a term used to describe currency that is used because of a government's order, or fiat, that the currency must be accepted as a means of payment. The appeal of a gold standard is that it arrests control of the issuance of money out of the hands of imperfect human beings. With the physical quantity of gold acting as a limit to that issuance, a society can follow a simple rule to avoid the evils of inflation. The goal of monetary policy is not just to prevent inflation, but also deflation, and to help promote a stable monetary environment in which full employment can be achieved. So in other words, they want to give their middle finger to what nature tells us is true. Nature proves to us that there are limits on everything. I want apples. That tree is going to make so many apples. I want anything. There is a finite limit. And nature proves that that is true. And what this system does is it seeks to undermine that. Well, I don't want to be limited by how much gold we actually have in the world. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And I need numbers to back it up. And that's how we end up where we are now. And how in the hell are grandparents and great grandparents ever allowed separation from the gold standard? That would probably be an incredible show on its own because there had to be strategies employed that were aimed at people that were not as programmed as we are. But words have meaning. What does gold standard mean? If I see a thing in the world and I want to correctly use the idea of gold standard, what I am saying, if I look at that thing or event or whatever it is, and I say, that's the gold standard, what I have just informed you is it's the best it can be. That is gold. That is what gold represents. It does not age. It does not change. It is aligned with the light of this world, which guarantees all the life here, big ideas in this word gold. And the gold standard is what's being separated from. And what is the reason for that? The main reason is, is because they don't want to be finitely limited by what creation tells us is true. So they will make a synthetic parallel system, which runs parallel and divergent to the creation, and they will get everyone to opt into that. And the further we get from the creation, woe be to us, because that is basically a form of slavery. So this backs up everything we've always said. This paper has value because we say it does. Okay, that's fine. But what if they decided to change that tomorrow? Let's say that all of a sudden, tomorrow, that paper doesn't do anything. Now with cinnamon-flavored toothpicks. Cinnamon-flavored toothpicks are now the modicum of exchange. Okay, what are you going to do with all that paper that you had? Thus proving its absolute worthlessness. When you have something like a precious metal or whatever it is, a tangible substance that came from the earth that is in limited quantities, then you have something that can't just be reproduced in a computer system or whatever it happens to be. Plus, it has uses. Gold, of course, has a lot of uses, especially in modern day with electronics. Well, it's, it's, it has value, inherent, undeniable value as does silver, which is typically the counterpart that has been used as so-called currency. But think about the idea of the gold standard. What it basically does is it really does, as you mentioned in this paragraph, kind of remove 
the human meddling to make a pun about metal. And if we were on a gold standard, there would be limits to it. But what's interesting is in a way that's not true either, because I have seen people break down what they think the actual amount of gold and silver that's been mined out in the world is. And I know it's just a guess, but even if that was treated as any other commodity, uh, you know, silver would probably be, you know, many hundreds an ounce, gold, many thousands an ounce. And yet what we saw, and we saw this last week, is there was this big jump in the value of metals. I think it lasted like less than 15 minutes where gold pushed to its almost all-time high and then was immediately crunched down. Things have become so fallacious that even the value of gold and silver is being completely manipulated. And here's another thing I suspect will be true. I have very bright friends that know a lot more than I ever will about the workings of government and organization and financing at a certain level. And they want to tell me that gold will not solve the problems that are coming. And they also want to tell me that it will become illegal as it once was in this country. And it was illegal that it was made illegal and was later proved that that order from the president was illegal. Nonetheless, that is the claim. What would prevent anyone who wanted to go on the gold standard, which we might see some version of again, why the hell else would every big bank and big country except Canada and the United States, I'm told. And I don't know if that's perfectly true, but I, I assume it is. Um, I've been told this by very smart people, uh, be buying all that gold. And the reason is, is because it's provably the only thing of real value. It is the literal gold standard. What would prevent someone from saying a half of gram of gold is worth a million dollars? Because that could be said. And so that would open up this whole market. But here's where the problem comes. As is true of corporations, they never stop and they call it progress. But what's happened is it becomes self-serving. Never does a corporation have that board meeting where they say, gentlemen, we've done it. Every customer is happy. Our systems are flawlessly perfect. We are making the most money we can make. Our shareholders are in heaven. We have reached the apex of operation. Put a stake in the ground. We don't change. We see the opposite, don't we? They keep going and they reach that perfection point or as good as they can get. And then they surpass it and they keep going and keep going. And this is true of our money system too. So even if we did take a incy beansy amount of gold and make it worth some insane millions of dollars, there would be a point where they were faced to reach the cap that nature shows us is true. This is finite. You have limits. You can't just go on ad infinitum. Because after all, in fact, there are limits to nature, and this is proven true. So we see what's coming. But why would they be stockpiling all the gold if there wasn't going to be some kind of a gold-backed standard at some point? I suspect gold and silver will become unobtainium. I think that the manipulation that's going on now is they're trying to get people to go broke. So if they have stacked gold and silver or they had inheritance, they cash it in now because they need the money. And then in a short, distant future, the prices are going to leap where most people won't be able to afford an ounce of either silver or gold. I suspect that's where we're headed.
Let's also not forget that they took the gold out of many people's hands back in the 1930s with the whole stroke of a pen order. And now that gold wasn't able to be handed down through those families all through, well, we're getting close to 100 years now, probably on on about 90 years at this point. Well, and that was showed to be illegal. I don't remember when. I think I want to say the 80s, but I don't remember. But that was brought up through legal systems and it was shown what's true of COVID. But in the same way, we forgot what was true during COVID. A governor cannot dictate to you. He is not a dictator. He can dictate to his staff. A president cannot dictate to the American people, which is what was done. The president said, hey, I forget what it was. We're at war. Whatever he did, he used the, if I remember correctly, the postmaster general to post notices that said you had to give the gold back. And it was illegal. And people forgot that there were three branches of government. They were told at the time, which is what made this place so amazing. We don't have dictators. And he stood up like a dictator and he made a dictate to the people. And a lot of the people followed again, later shown to be an illegal act. But what happened during COVID, it was even worse where the governor couldn't risk being taken to court because there were some adults in the room who would probably take it to court, even though the courts have been closed. He knew he couldn't be the dictator. So what they do, they pushed it off on the CDC. And in a way, that's worse. That's a freaking corporation, not a legislative body. They have no authority. And that's exactly what they did. And what did they do? They used a mandate. Well, what the hell is it? You know, on and on it goes. And so that's why we're in a precarious position. A couple years ago, people fell for this dictator nonsense from a freaking corporation and to some some degree, governors and, and the president at the time. And so here we are again, if my sources are true and they're going to try to make a run to tell you you can't have your currency, anyone who doesn't give them the middle finger is out of their damn mind because gold is in fact the only form of wealth that they can't track. And there is no third party risk. That's why it matters. Besides the fact that it is the gold standard. Before the introduction of the Federal Reserve in 1913, the National Bank Act of 1863 imposed a 25% reserve requirements for U.S. banks under its charge. This requirement was to protect depositor funds from being used in risky investments. In 1913, the Federal Reserve Act created the system of Federal Reserve Banks we now know collectively as the Federal Reserve System. Banks were required to keep reserve balances with the Federal Reserve Banks. So wait a minute. They had to act like they cared about people back then, and it only took 25% of reserve to do it? Well, let me ask a simple question. I've been told that it was 2008 that they further hacked away at whatever we're at, 10%, or I forget what. It's a very low number, what they actually have to have on hand. That is the only thing that insulates you from a supposed bank run. And the other thing that's crazy about that is so much digital banking, you wouldn't even have to supply the notes. But why doesn't someone somewhere in charge of these things say, you know what, guys, we've had a lot of trouble from now on. You've got to have 25% reserve on hand. I'll tell you why. Because this is being used as a weapon. That's why. So looking back at the timeline of money in America, a shortage of money was a problem for the American colonies. England did not supply its colonies with sufficient coinage and, in fact, prohibited them from making their own. The early settlers brought coins from Europe, but they went quickly back there to pay for supplies. Without enough local money, 
the colonists had to barter for goods or use primitive currency such as Indian wampum, nails, and tobacco. Oh, wait a minute. They're bartering? That's a form of freedom. We can't have that, can we, Jason? Of the places that I became aware of when I started becoming interested in not using banks and trying to get interested and learn about gold and silver, I was offered a book. And the book showed how we got our early dollars. And it's very interesting, the story as it goes. Uh, Apparently, the federal government had the power and the wherewithal to make its own money at any time, and it never did. And eventually what happened is they started giving charters out to states and other places. There was a point in history where it was estimated that 50% of all money was counterfeit. You know why? Because nobody in Colorado quite knew if this bill that they were holding that said the Bank of Utica was a real bank, but it sure looked official, so they accepted it. And in a way, that system where they think 50% was counterfeited was setting up for, okay, we're not sure about this bill, but I'm pretty sure if I take it, I could hand it to someone else and they'll take it. So it was like the precursors far in the future of fiat. But why was it that the federal government from the get-go didn't just take control and said, we're going to coin it, we're going to be in control of it? And I think what you see is the long, long-term designs on banking and finance as a method of control. All right, we're coming to the top of hour one. And to be honest, you know, in some ways we're in a very precarious position, but the way, the reason it feels so precarious is because we're involved in these systems, right? We know damn well that our mortgages and our rent and all the things we need to live day to day as we become used to living uh, are not going to go away. And so at the same time, we've lost faith in our banking and this this game is being played where, oh, these banks are failing. Oh, this is terrible. No, it's not. We've got them. Oh, the Federal Reserve will save them. Nonetheless, the result of it has been everybody is losing faith in everything. And this is by design. What we know for certain is that there is a bid for overarching total control going on in this world. What we know for certain is things like CBDC, programmable currency, from a place called the Fed that is not federal, that has no oversight beyond its own power, and is apparently some families are bringing this forward with the stated intention, among other things, of eliminating savings accounts, putting a limit on how long your money is even money, and using it to wait for it, control your behavior, or actually modify your behavior. Here's the key point. I'm going to ask you a very important question. When you were born, were you given God-given rights? If you don't accept there's God, then were you given rights by the creation, by nature, by however you choose to think of it, were you granted rights? The truth of that is yes, you were granted the divine spark of life, provable, you're breathing. You were granted free will, provable. I can turn left or right any time of any day, proven. I have free will. Lastly, you are made a beneficiary of this creation. How do I know it? Because without the creation, I cannot be alive. The creation will provide everything I ever need. And yet there is this parallel system, which is trying to suck me in. The main point is, will this be the era that we recognize our so-called God-given rights and begin to defend them? Or will that come at a later time? after we've been slaved out a bit. 
The choice is absolutely ours. Absolutely. And I will close with this idea. What I noticed during COVID was a lot of people scared to death that they were going to lose their livelihoods, not be able to afford their place to live, not be able to afford to give their children the things they wanted. And many of the brave souls that we covered here, like Agent J and others, they stood up and said no. And what we saw next was amazing, literally to a person, a door slammed shut by the parallel system, and then another door opened. And to me, for my observation of this creation, that is the value of recognizing your God-given rights and your spiritual arc in this place. When a door slams, we will be able to have another path. It will be provided for us, but this is not a thing we can fake. You're either all in or you're not all in. These are things that in my lifetime, I can't just say the words or act like I'm interested. I literally have to walk the walk. But what I have learned is maybe it's the idea of taking on on faith and there's something to that. But at the base of it all is, do I have God-given rights? I know darn well I do. And when I accept these parallel synthetic systems, is it a downgrade? That's why it's here. It needs to get those God-given rights away from you, and it needs to get your approval to do it or the appearance of your approval to do it. So here we are, man. It's now. We're not doing podcasts saying a thing is coming. We're doing a podcast saying a thing is here. And as far as I can tell, that is the foundation. Do you recognize your God-given rights and will you defend them? And will you walk away from things that are unacceptable? in the synthetic system. Anyhow, Jason, do you have anything to add before I wrap up our one of episode 504? Well, just to comment on that last point, you can see that the powers that be, even at that point, were trying to exert control by not giving them the coinage that they would have needed. They kept things under strict control so that they would have to deal with them and not do their own thing because it was illegal for them to do their own thing in the colonies. You know, it's crazy how this has been teed up because the idea of the idiocracy, which was poked in our eyes with a movie called The Idiocracy, this has happened. The younger generation isn't even as educated or aware of the world around as I was. And I was a far cry from what my parents knew and were taught and could do. There has been a full frontal effort to diminish the idea of how special it is to be in this world and what an amazing place it is. When I was young, I remembered every time I learned something about a different part of this world, it was amazing. It's like, wow, what an what a amazing place we live in. And the more I tried to learn everything about every animal all through my life, hey, there's another animal I've never heard of. How can that be? This place is amazing. But here we are. As far as I can tell, this is the test. You recognize that you were granted some very special things, usually referred to as God-given rights, and you defend them with the simple premise of what you are trying to push on me is unacceptable or it is acceptable. I am a living man or I am a living woman, and I do not deserve to be slaved out by some corporation or organization. Therefore, I will retain my God-given rights. And this is a tricky thing. Because we have signed a lot of papers and made a lot of agreements. But from my point of view, there is never a minute in time when you can't step back and say, guess what? I extract myself from every agreement I've ever made on the basis that I did not comprehend what it meant. And there's that. 
So I'm going to wrap up hour one of episode 504. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two hour, two hour plus episode. And members also get free access to the movie Shoot the Moon that Jason made that covers all my scope work. I think there's five lunar waves in the film. Uh, and it's won quite a number of awards at this point. With that, I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era as we get ready and prep up for hour two. I hope to see you over and logged into the website. There it is, man. Cheers. <laughs>